0: We were able to watch uh, what's called an eco-race or eco-challenge or it's also titled as the toughest race in the world. Uh, We saw it and it was a 2019 race. There was, I think, 60-something teams and each team has four uh, people on the team. It was an 11-day race on the island of Fiji, Um, 417 miles It had to be done in 11 days, and the winners, I think, did it in like five and a half days. Uh, Most of them did not sleep much at all, uh, but 417 miles through the ocean, the mountains, uh, by rowing boats, uh, hiking, uh, biking, there was swimming, uh, climbing mountains, and rappelling all kinds of things. People uh, just really beating their bodies up over this time. And there was, a, in each team, you'd have four people. And, and there was a team captain who had a, a map constantly and, a, and a, uh, a compass and was giving direction and trying to encourage the team to press on. And as you followed their journeys, all these different teams, some teams took all the way the 11 days to do it. Some did it half the time. But this traveling through this island and over this island, made me think of the passage that we look at today uh, here in Philippians because the idea that we see is that Christians are traveling through this earth for a time period that we are on a pilgrimage and the earth is not our final destination our final destination for all who are in Christ is heavenward is Jesus Christ is being with him for or, for eternity. And as uh, this journey that you are on as a believer, uh, we travel through this wilderness, as we were just singing it as well with my soul, that we go through testing, we go through moments of growth, uh, we go through uh, moments uh, that uh, are changing and transforming our life. And what we need is the strength of the Lord God Almighty. And the only way that we can travel through this world and make it to the end is through the Holy Spirit, the promise of God uh, that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And as we saw in chapter one of Philippians, what he began, he will bring to a completion. And so we rejoice in that this morning, the scriptural truth from Philippians three verses 17 through 21 is this followers of Christ are called to live as citizens of heaven while journeying through this earthly life. Look with me at verses 17 through 21 of chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their god is their belly and their glory in their sh- and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The Word of God. Father, thank you again for blessing us. With not only salvation through your son, but also giving us your word for life and for godliness. And so we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus name. Amen. Some of you have made have had the opportunity to go on a hike before. And not only to just go on a hike out into the mountains or the wilderness or wherever it may be, but to go with another person who may be leading you on that hike. Someone who is um, confident, has a lot of assurance as they are heading out, as you are following them, their stride as well, they are strong. Uh, someone who turns back to you frequently, who's encouraging you uh, to continue on in this hike. And just seeing um, how they are leading you brings encouragement uh, to you. As Paul points out today, something which he's already said in the letter a couple times. Uh, that there are people to follow who follow uh, Jesus. He points out to the Christians, every one of you who have faith in Jesus Christ, that you are to be a walking example to other believers so as to lead and encourage them. That your life in Jesus Christ, uh, guided by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to point people to Jesus. That as they look to your life and as they follow you, that in everything you say, in everything you do, points them to Jesus Christ. The instructions that we have here from the Apostle Paul, verses 17 through 19, are very important. I know that we really want to jump right ahead to verses 20 through 21 and talk about heaven. Uh, who does not want to talk about our eternal, our eternal uh, place with Jesus Christ um, we want to jump to that, but let us take a moment here and see what is important in verses seventeen through 19. there 's a few subpoints I put in your notes, and the first and foremost one is that you are to walk rightly by following and imitating the example of who Jesus Christ. Paul tells us what, uh, that we're gonna, we need to follow other people. He already mentioned Timothy and Epaphroditus. But if you go all the way back to chapter 2 and uh, verses 5 through 11, he says Jesus Christ is the example of how to live and walk humbly with our God. Uh, the prophet Micah, over 2,800 years ago, he says to the nation of Israel in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk how humbly with your God? Twenty eight hundred years plus later. We have the Apostle Paul's words which call us to that same walk. The Bible describes our life as walking, sometimes running Fixing our eyes on Jesus sometimes is described as a fight and as a battle. But repeatedly, this word walk and walking and following Jesus and following others who follow Jesus is repeated. And therefore, we are to look at our life in this world, um, on this side of heaven, as a uh, journey, walking and traveling and following Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 The Apostle Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. A few weeks ago, we were looking at the text of fixing our eyes on Jesus. And how do we do that? We read the scriptures. We look to the scriptures, which tell us all about uh, who God is and how he has a will and how he uh, functions and and what he does And we also have in his word, uh, the gospel accounts uh, that were prophesied of Jesus coming and what he would do and how he would live his life and how he would die for his people and shed his blood for their sins and be risen to life on the third day. Jesus is the one that we are to follow. So don't mistake Paul's words here in verse 17 when he tells us to follow other believers We're not looking for something in them that they have different than Jesus. His point is that you follow them as they follow Jesus. And as they grow in the faith, as you look to how they are following Jesus in that example, that you follow uh, them. The second sub point there is you are to walk rightly by following and imitating the example of faithful believers who follow Christ. Look at verse 17 says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The word there, imitate, means to follow or to be a fellow imitator. Paul says uh, to follow me. He told the church in Corinth the same thing in chapter 1 of First Corinthians, I mean chapter 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And when you read the New Testament... You think, well, of course, the Apostle Paul, he followed Jesus. He did everything right. He followed uh, everything that God's word has for him. So, of course, we should follow the Apostle Paul as he follows Jesus. Well, and also, he says, OK, yeah, we'll follow Epaphroditus and Timothy because they followed after him. But I think sometimes uh, we struggle uh, to find other believers or to be obedient in the sense of follow other believers that have gone before us. That we are not to be out traveling this world on our own. Yes, Ephesians 2 says for the believer, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that the believer does not lose the Holy Spirit. But um, we are commanded and directed to find other believers who have journeyed on a little bit farther than us and follow the example of Christ in them." He says there to keep your eyes. It means to be focused, to view attentively, to watch, observe, and compare. Now, we are good at observing other people. A lot of times, the observations that we make is for the purpose of pointing out others' faults so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. And so if we can find someone who falls in their face, who does something wrong, and like, okay, good, I haven't done that yet, or I haven't done that like that person, then that's a good thing. But when he says to focus your eyes and to examine, to view attentively, to compare, you're to look for other believers who are following Jesus Christ. Back in chapter two, verses 19 through 30, he gave Timothy as example and Epaphroditus. And as he wrote to the church of Philippi, he says, hey, follow Timothy's example. And he uh, told us as we read in Philippians about Timothy. He also said, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you uh, and to follow their example, to honor them as they have served me, he says, and followed Jesus Christ. Who are the fellow Christians? That have set an example for you in following Jesus. Who are those people? Are you striving after seeing what's in their life following Jesus and, 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 and seeking after Jesus in that way? I know that we could read all the biographies of all the saints that have gone before us. And we can learn some wonderful things. About how they have been missionaries in this world. How they have stood for the faith of Christ and and died for that. We can read all of those accounts. And those are wonderful things we can learn a lot from. Um, We can uh, listen to uh, pastors, preachers on TV and on podcasts. And yes, we can definitely learn from uh, their teachings. I do that myself. But there is a difference here when Paul says... To follow someone um, that this sense that we need flesh and blood Christians around us. Um, We're not to overlook, as I'll just say it and call us the everyday Christian. The regular Christian, the saint in Christ, um, because here's why. Sometimes we think I've got to find that Christian saint who's a Greek and Hebrew expert who knows how to teach the Bible, who knows how to preach, who knows how to do all these things. They're experts in all these areas. And I'll tell you this, um, it may be hard to find Christians like that everywhere you go. The reason being is when I read Scripture, yes, you have some senior saints, some uh, great uh, pillars of the faith when you read Hebrews chapter 11. But for us, um, we need to look at one another. One another. Here's why. Some of us need to, or our desire is, and we read scripture and our prayer is that we would be a godly husband or a godly wife. We want to be godly parents. We want to be aligned with God's word. We, we want to be people who work hard for Christ, uh, not just to work hard in, in general. Um, we want to know how to go through the trials of this world. We want to uh, come out on the other end and be focused on Christ. We want to know how to pray uh, uh, accordingly and read the word. And so sometimes we set our, our eyes on people that we think, well, if that saint over there could do all those things perfect, I should look to them. When maybe God's directing you that you need to be a godly husband or a godly wife, then find the godly husband or wife in the church And don't wait for them to come to you and say, hey, I'm going to teach you how to be a godly husband or wife or a godly parent. Or maybe you're like, hey, I'm struggling in the works that I do. Or as a student, I struggle to be a good student. Uh, I, I need to grow in that area. Don't wait for a Christian brother or sister to come to you and say, here, let me teach you how to work hard for Christ. Let me teach you how to be a good student to give glory to God. You, Christian, need to seek out other believers. This is this word we call discipleship. You need to be discipled by someone and disciple others. So who are those people that you see in them? It's like, wow, that person went through that trial in their life. I don't know how they made it out. And you say, can I spend some time with you? Take the initiative and go to the person who says, hey, you know, I, 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 I want to be a godly parent. and and, and we want to be godly parents and and, and you go to this couple that like, you two have raised your children in the Lord and here's what we've seen can we spend some time with you I think sometimes we think we're going to uh, be an inconvenience to someone if we dare ask them to spend time with them here's a trick you want to spend time with them invite them over to your house I, I don't know make them a meal whatever spend some time with them take them out to coffee or whatever it may be go on a hike with them take them with you invite them because most of us are not going to look around the room and go, OK, oh, you need that. You need, OK, I'm going to come over and talk to you. And, hey, we're going to set up this appointment for you over here. Paul tells us to set your eyes on these other followers who are following Christ. So it's something that you and I should do. And therefore pray that the Lord would uh, bring to our eyes those people within the body of Christ that we can spend time with and follow after. The third sub point there is that you are to walk rightly by following and imitating Christ so that you set an example for other believers to follow. Now, this is also a hang up at times because we do not. many of us do not believe that we can lead anyone or we have anything that we can share with someone. I'm just following Jesus. I'm just as as struggling with sin as you. We may think of all these types of things. I've got this in my life and this struggle here and this. No way could I lead that group over there. But the Lord's done something in your life in this way, and you've grown in this area, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I, I could teach that person that. You are to not only seek out someone who's discipling you, but you are also to disciple uh, others. John chapter 15, Jesus speaks about uh, the vine and the branches and fruit. And when we studied that a while back, we saw that there's no such thing uh, as a fruitless Christian. All Christians who are in Christ produce fruit. Some produce more fruit than others, uh, but all believers produce fruit in Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, making us more and more obedient to his word as we uh, uh, seek to follow Jesus and to serve and love one another. And if that's true and that's Jesus's words, then wherever you are at in your walk with Jesus... He has produced fruit that you can, therefore, uh, teach other people and point people to Jesus in. The book of Titus, um, we studied it a year ago. And in Titus, uh, he was writing to the church, Paul was, and and told Titus to tell the older older men and women in the church to be examples to the younger men and women in the church. And he was encouraging them, and he says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The Apostle Paul was writing that to Titus and saying that to him, but also that that charge would go on to all believers Uh, Do you show yourself to be a model of good works in integrity for the word of God, being uh, 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 sound uh, according to uh, God's word? One of the things that he challenged Titus was to be faithful to sound doctrine. Are you a person who is faithful to sound doctrine? In the sense that we hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the entirety of the word of God. And it's all God's words and it's all his truth. And it's all for our benefit that we would know Jesus, that we would be saved by faith in Christ alone. And that one day that we would be with him for eternity as he's promised to return or the people around us finding us to be faithful models of Jesus Christ. Those who hold to his truths. Paul wrote also to Timothy, uh, calling him a young person. So, for every child, youth, teenager, college student in this room who has faith in Christ, here's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And impurity. Throughout my life, I've had a number of opportunities to go to uh, mission trips down in uh, Mexico. And trip after trip after trip, um, going uh, as a student and then later taking students, watching young believers set an example for the older believers. The number of times that are just blown away by something that a student would do, setting the example for all the rest of the team uh, of how they're following Jesus. And so when you read these things, all the youth in this room, when you read these scriptures and you see all this stuff, you might think, well, when I get to be an adult, when I get out of college, when I get married, when I do these things, then I'm supposed to do this. No. Every single person in this room if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you are to set an example for all the believers, young and old. So don't use a lot of these excuses we have. Don't use the excuses that, again, that um, I can't find the person to follow. Uh, don't use the excuse of like, I, I can't lead anyone or be a model or example for them. Uh, don't use the excuse of I'm too young or I'm too old. Uh, because we use those so that we can avoid these things. Oh, yes, I agree. Paul wrote some wonderful things here in Philippians, but but you know what? All these troubles in my life, all these distractions, all these businesses, I can't, I can't do that right now. Know that we are good at making excuses, right? We come up with all the greatest excuses in the world just to avoid things, especially the things of God. The fourth subpoint there is this under um, verses 17 through 19 is that you are to not follow the examples of those who live as enemies of Jesus Christ. Here's something you're not supposed to do. Verse 18, he says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, he's he's mentioned these things repeatedly. He says he does it with tears. To think that the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, he's grieved over people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. He's grieved with the fact of possibly two things, as he writes in other letters. One, that they come into the church, and they distract the church, and try to turn the church away from the truth of God. And secondly, he grieves with the fact that there are people who will die in their sins, and they will face the judgment of God, and they will be cast into hell for eternity, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the wrath of God will be upon them for eternity. He grieves over these things. He doesn't just uh, get away from those people. Those people hate Jesus. Don't listen to them. Yeah, don't listen to them. But your heart should be grieved that if they die in their sins, they go to hell. Therefore, all the more you should be praying for all the lost in this world. Church, do you pray for the city of Missoula? Do you pray for the numbers and numbers, the thousands of people here in this city who, if they die today in their sins, they go to hell for eternity? Do you pray for them? We need to. I know you do pray. But we should ever more pray. That God would direct us as believers and the believers in this city to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should weep. With tears, as Paul does, over the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so with this, we are to avoid them in this sense. You don't follow what they teach. You don't follow their examples. Because, number one, it says the enemies. The word enemies that he uses here is the same word used for adversary or to hate. It's the same word used to describe Satan. The same word used to describe people before they're Christians. So stop for a minute here, all you who are in Christ, and go, wait, what was my life like before Jesus? Wait, I was an enemy? Well, Scripture repeatedly tells us this. Before Jesus Christ, before the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're like, "Nah, it was not that bad. Again, that's human thinking. That's not the word of God. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells the church in Colossae verses 21 through 22. And you, he's writing to Christians there, who once were alienated and hostile. The word there is the word enemies, which he uses here in Philippians. In mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see... He says you were alienated, you were hostile enemies of God, but now by God's grace, by what Jesus Christ did at the cross for you, through faith in Him you're saved. And therefore your changed, transformed a new creation. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And so it's always a good reminder to glance at your past to know this is who you were before Christ so that you would be, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy and forgiveness upon my life. He says to watch out for these enemies of the cross of Christ. Sometimes Christians look to people in the world that are not Christians so that we would follow their example. What do I mean? Maybe we wanted to excel in our businesses and in our leadership abilities. And so we find the top leaders who have written the best books in the world. And we start to apply every single thing they do so we can accomplish what they accomplish. We may want to be an expert in a certain area of our life. And so we find the experts in this world. And many times there's the temptation to follow after or to model our lives after these famous people that have no regard for Jesus. I know that even just growing up playing basketball, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I watched every single game that I could. I watched every video that I could. He had a few books, if you can call them books, and I would read those. And I wanted to apply everything there. But he has no regard for Jesus. The things that he says and does in public and the things that uh, I've seen. At one point, I'm like, oh, why am I trying to be like Mike? Mike? Why am I trying to follow after him? Yeah, just play this. But I would begin to pick up the leadership stuff in his books that he wrote and stuff. I'm like, man, are these things actually godly or not? The warning is for you. Everything you need for life and godliness is here in the word of God and in examples, believers who are following the word of God. And so I caution you as you look to the world for examples, because verse 19 says this is their end. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things. He gives a description. Here's how you find these people. Number one, their God is their belly. This helps you identify people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They worship themselves. They who are hedonists. They are seeking out pleasure in life instead of seeking satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And so what do you see in the world? The constant following of the next thing. You, get, uh, you achieve this and there's something else because you're no longer satisfied. You get the new phone and you see the next one that comes out a few months later. You're like, I'm not satisfied. I need this. You get to this point in your life and you, you thought it was going to be a satisfaction for you. You're like, oh, it no longer satisfies you. And so what you see in the world is people striving after the wind. The number of people in this world who commit suicide because they're constantly searching for something to satisfy their life and they never find it because they don't look to Jesus. Therefore, these people, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. These are the descriptions of like people who pride themselves in their party life and how much they could drink and what they've done in this world and all these things that they brag in. This is the description of the world of the people who are enemies of Christ. It says, with mindset on earthly things, The Apostle Paul says we are to set our minds on things above, on Jesus Christ, yet the world sets their things on here on earth. The temptation for us is to follow Christ and follow the world. To enjoy and take joy in Christ and yet to still try to find some joy in a fallen world one of the churches that's warned in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will what? Spit you out of my mouth. Jesus' words is that his people would not be cold and hot this mixture of standing with one foot in the world and one foot following Him, but that we would be hot in the sense of following Jesus, of loving Him, of declaring the gospel to others, and that we would do that with all of our might and all of our energy through the Holy Spirit of God until the day that we see Him face to face. And so some of us today are in the cold and in the hot. We're in the things of the world and the things of God. And he's calling you on account today. Get rid of the things of the world. Stop turning and fix your eyes on the world and fix your eyes on Jesus and follow Jesus and walk after him and follow other believers who are following Jesus. And by the way, you be an example for others to follow you until the day you're with him for eternity. Church, that's what we are called to do. And I'll tell you this, as I tell you every week, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own power, your own strength, your own plans, your own will. It's all according to the will of God and by the power of who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you and I to do anything for the glory of God. And therefore, we should pray daily, as Paul says in Ephesians. uh, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me up today, Holy Spirit, that I would walk in the power of God and your holiness and grow in righteousness. Philippians chapter 1, we saw just at the beginning of our study, uh, just uh, I don't know, a number of weeks back, he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I so enjoy reading of Christian missionaries in this world doing work in the name of Christ. It's like Paul, as he tells the church in Philippians, I so long for and excited to hear about how you're walking in Jesus. That's what our prayer as a church should be this morning, is that we would walk with our eyes fixed on Jesus And that he would be glorified in the body of Christ. And as we do that, this Philippians 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is this correct description. As you walk and travel and journey in this world, you are not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of heaven through faith in him. Let's look at the second point, the last point here, verses 20 through 21, walking like a citizen of heaven. Uh, A number of years ago, I can't remember how long ago, I was working for my father-in-law's company uh, doing construction work. And uh, we would get up early and go to work. And one morning, my wife woke me up. And said and really early, and says uh, your bag is packed. Uh, you're getting up. You're leaving. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't even get get work. I can't leave. Whatever. And she said, no, you're going with my dad somewhere. And so um, we load up and go to uh, the shop. And my brother-in-law's there, my father-in-law, and one of the foremen, and says we're going on a trip, and and and. and don't really tell us much of the details yet until I think we, I can't remember if it was once we got to the airport, but we're leaving Los Angeles. We're flying towards Seattle. We get to Seattle and we fly across into Vancouver. And then we get on this little float plane and we float and we land on the water uh, just um, northeast of Vancouver Island. We're there to go fishing. It's like, awesome. Never fished for salmon before. Never seen a 52-pound salmon. It's like, Wow. So we have a great time. Killer whales are, are, are rising up through the water. You see eagles flying down, grabbing fish out of the water. A bear on the shoreline. I mean, it's just glorious. You're like, Lord, thank you for your creation. We get to the end of the trip, and they pack up all the, the fish. They'd flayed it for you and sealed it and froze it. And you're going back to the airport, and we get in line. And I see everyone in our group taking out their passport. I didn't own a passport at that time. Years and years going to Mexico, they never required it, only my license. I turned to my father-in-law and said, I don't have a passport. He's like, what? And uh, so I began to sweat. And he's like, all right. So my brother-in-law went first. I think uh, the foreman that was with us went went ahead. And he goes, all right, you go next. And I have my license. And I walk up, and I put that down. The guy goes, what is this? And I said, well, officer, I'm sorry. I, I don't have a passport you don't have a passport and you want to come into the United States of America uh, 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 to tra- or to go through and in, in Canada and to America. he goes, you. Why don't you have a passport here? And I, I try to explain as i go got on this trip. And, he, and he's like, hold on. He starts typing. He starts asking me questions. He go, where were you born? I said, Lindsay, California. He said, what hospital? I said, well, it's Lindsay hospital, but it's no longer there anymore. He goes, well, that's convenient. <laughs> and I was sweating more. And, um, he gave me a bad time. He pulls out all these papers and he's stamping all this stuff. He calls someone and it sounds like even threatening. And he goes, all right, I flagged your name. If you come through here again, we're not letting you in. I was like, All right. And I'm like shaking. And I go over and uh, my father-in-law goes through and they're laughing. Yeah, I was like, great. But as I went into uh, Canada... I went in without a passport. Um, I went in as a stranger in a foreign country. um, And I'm reminded of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, which I hope you've already read. If not, you need to read Acts 16. Because in Acts 16, when Paul comes into Philippi, which we have the letter that goes to the church there, there's a moment at which he gets arrested. Actually, they beat him first. They arrest him, throw him in jail. And after amazing, miraculous work of God and a jailer gets saved in his family. The next morning in Acts chapter 16, the magistrates of the city comes to Paul and said, or they come to the jailer and the jailer comes to Paul and says, hey, you guys can go. And he's like, no, not at all. He's like, I'm a Roman citizen who was beaten and thrown in prison. You're telling me to go without any trial or anything. I have rights. And there was some shaking in the boots of the uh, jailer and those people. They go back to the, the magistrates and the magistrates are are they fearful now, too. And uh, they uh, it says uh, in Acts 16, it says uh, the police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. You see, as a Roman citizen, he had certain rights and privileges. And one of those, he could not be beaten and thrown in jail the way that that happened. And so there was therefore great fear, because if you ever did something against a Roman citizen that way, you could pay a major price. And Paul writes to the church in Philippians in verse 20 and says, but our Citizenship is it where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read scripture and it speaks of um, strangers and it speaks of uh, aliens. Specifically, when it uses the word strangers, it uh, means a a foreigner uh, who is not a citizen and aliens are um, not citizens, but could live in a city or an area and had some common types of privileges. But only a, a Roman citizen at that time would have full rights and privileges and the benefits of a citizen in the city of Philippi. And you could be a um, Roman citizen by birth, like the Apostle Paul. You could have been a slave and over a period of time been released and become a citizen. You could have served the military and become a Roman citizen through that. Or sometimes through marriage and through time and some different ways, you could possibly become a Roman citizen. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul lays out for us how anyone becomes a citizen of heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 through 5. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Again, he's writing to Christians and he says, And you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses of, Uh, And sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of error, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And we go, wow, enemies of God. Verse four. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. Amen. We rejoice in that scripture because Jesus Christ has poured out his grace and mercy and his forgiveness on us and has removed our sins through faith in him. And he's risen from death to life and he's ascended to heaven and ruling and reigning. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you, just as we were reading earlier. And he says, I will come again and take you to be with me because you're a citizen of heaven. Look farther down in chapter two there of Ephesians, verse 19. After the work that God has done, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. He says you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens of the kingdom of God of heaven Just as the apostle Paul and he received his citizenship by birth because of his parents we as believers receive our citizenship of heaven through birth not by physical birth but John chapter 3 says regeneration, being born again. And by that birth, which we were just reading in Ephesians chapter 2 and throughout the scriptures, that through faith in Jesus Christ alone, through the Holy Spirit working in us to open our eyes to the gospel, that we're saved by that faith. We are also made citizens by the Holy Spirit's work in us. I'm thankful for the scriptures and Romans. And Galatians, which tell us that at faith in Christ when we're justified, we're also adopted. We're adopted children of God, and therefore we have all the rights of being a child of God. And so we rejoice in that that He's gone to prepare a place for us, and He's coming again, and that He'll take us to be with Him forever in the household of God. First Peter chapter two verse eleven says, "Behold." Our beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So therefore, with heaven set before us, we walk accordingly to how Jesus Christ has set us an example to follow. We walk accordingly to his word. We abstain from the things of the world as we once were enemies of God. And we seek the heavenly city. Because one day Jesus will return. And it says in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body. How many of you say yes we have a lowly body. It's breaking down. Says who will transform our lowly body. To be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him. Even to subject all things to himself. There's a wonderful book you need to read. If you haven't read. Only read it after you read the Bible. Bible's number one. Printing and selling number two is Pilgrim's Progress. And in Pilgrim's Progress, you have the story of a man named Christian who's on a journey and he's traveling towards what's called the celestial city. And this guy named Christian, he ran from the city of destruction after he was burdened of the truth of his sinful state and the sinful state of the city around him. And as he headed towards the celestial city, he would turn away from pursuing the world. He would struggle and fall into traps. But he continued seeking the treasures of the celestial city. And as he faced challenges, as he faced attacks, as he faced uh, uh, temptations and imprisonment, um, as well as he faced victories, uh, he's encouraged to continue on in this pilgrimage. And as he did so, he faithfully endured um, through all the adversity, uh, knowing that there was a reward waiting for him. And Pilgrim's progress in that journey reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith. And after this list of all these people who had faith in God and have already died and gone to be with him, he says this in Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And we, just like that man Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, have a pilgrim identity, which is that in Christ Jesus. And we are journeying and traveling through this world, and our hope is Jesus. Our eyes are set on him. And we are to strive forward and to walk Uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ... And as we already read in Philippians, we press on towards the goal. We know the Holy Spirit will move us through this world. And God, what he started in you, he will finish. And therefore, one day we will be gathered in the heavenly city and we will be with Jesus for all eternity, forever and ever. And he will make a new heavens and a new earth. And those things are just blessings and benefits. But the glorious treasure and inheritance is Jesus Christ. For all you who are in Christ today, be encouraged that through the trials and struggles that you are facing, the Holy Spirit will move in you to get you through to the end. So keep your head up and you look to the heavens and you wait for Jesus' return. And for all who here who have come into this place, not as a citizen of heaven, a stranger, an alien of heaven, I pray today that the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you would call out to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Change me. Transform me. Do a work that only you can do and that today would be the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Those of us who are citizens of heaven, we thank you. That you have done a great and glorious work to make us your own. And Father, we call and ask to you today would you strengthen us in a dark world, in a place where we are truly strangers and aliens, a place that hates you and they hate us? Father, we cling to your promises that Jesus is enough, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us, and that you will grant us all that we need for life and godliness. Father, we pray that you would bring comfort and peace and strength for any in the room who are in the midst of the struggle, the trial, the battle, and as James says, that you would bring them through for your glory, for their strength. Father, help us to be following after Jesus following after believers who follow Jesus, being an example for others to follow. And would you build up this local body of Christ that you would strengthen us in you and you would do it for your glory. Jesus, we pray, come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.